The meat of live is Christ. The meat to die is gain. Every moment in between, there'll be joy and there'll be pain. I can't worry about the future or change a thing about my past. I've got this moment to believe and I'm gonna make it last. I am filled to be emptied. This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. Father, it is our great desire to hear your voice today, to hear you speaking directly to us, right into our lives, right where we need it the most, where you meet our expectations, you break down our walls, you overcome our fears and our doubts, and you bring us to the throne and remind us that we are loved and that we can be, because of your spirit, as loving as you are. And we praise you, God, that we have this opportunity to hear from you in your word and through your spirit. So remove Carrie and I from this teaching, Lord. Let only your truth pass through our lips. If there's anything that we think up that's ours, that no matter how witty or smart or funny it sounds, we pray that it's quickly forgotten. But if it's yours, if it's really from you, if it really does ring with your truth and drip with your grace, then we pray that it takes root in the ears and the minds and the hearts of every person here and that we are transformed because of it. We are made new and we are enlivened. We are encouraged. We are brought alive by what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So last week we, we kind of showed you these cups and we started, we started talking about them. Now the fact that there are really... I introduced you to four different uh, loves, but one of them was a combination. So we're just going to use three today. Storge is family love. Eros is a romantic love. Philos is brotherly love. But they all really fit best when they're inside of agape. And the main reason for that is that storge is really a love you can only have for your family. And Eros is really a love that you can only have for the person that you're wanting to be intimate with. And philos is a love that you can only have for someone who is becoming close to you, is, is, giving it, is having an opportunity to understand you and know you, and you doing the same with them, and so it requires proximity. Agape is the only love that is for everyone. It also makes it easier to develop philos. It makes it easier to understand and control and make eros fit in the right part of your life. And it's the one thing that can make you go past storge to that crazy uncle that you have a hard time loving. And love him the way he deserves to be loved because he is also God's child. And so agape love fills out and gives purpose to all of the human loves. But that doesn't change a truth. And we want this to be your consider. Remember, we've been looking at am I... Am I loving the one in front of me? That's our question right now. It's the first emptying, and it really is the first emptying because it sets up all the sets up the other two. Uh, but it doesn't change the fact, and we want this to be our consider, 
that sometimes there are people in our lives that are hard to love. And so the considered question is, is there someone in your life that is hard to love? Ooh, that's a tough question right off the bat, huh? Ooh. <laughs> Who in your life is hard to love? Well, today we're going to be in Luke, Luke chapter 10. And Jesus tells us how to love and who to love in this passage. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. So if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one underneath the table. Pull yours up on version if you need to. We're going to be in the New Living Translation today. Now, this is a story that, for those that are on our podcast and our radio uh, broadcast, we're going to be talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan today, and that's one that's been told since we were little, little, for <laughs> those right. of us who may have grown up in the church. But I do think that it's important that we revisit this story over and over again when necessary, because this really pushes us and strives us towards who we're supposed to love, okay? So if you are in Luke chapter 10, verses 25, please say amen. All right, I All like right. it. All right. So we're going to start in verse 21. One day, an expert, not just some willy-nilly person, someone, some, some Joe that came down the road, this is an expert in religious law, stood up to, to do what? What's it say there? Yes. To test Jesus. Jesus. That's right. By asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. <laughs> but here's the thing. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And we're going to start in verse 30 here in just a little bit, but let's talk about how this is being set up. Yes. So in verse 25, like, like it says, basically, this is the first trap. This man wasn't coming... To because he wanted to learn. He wasn't coming because he was necessarily believing that Jesus was the Christ. He was coming to trap him. He was coming to see if he could get him to say that he was Lord. And Jesus didn't fall for that. Jesus does what Jesus always does when <laughs> somebody right. tries to trap him or tries to question what he is teaching. What does he do here? He asks another question. Yes, he answers a question <laughs> right. with a question. And this is really good for any of us to, to keep in mind, is that sometimes when someone asks a question, the last thing they need is an answer. They need to learn how to think critically themselves. And so when someone asks you a question along the faith lines, it's a good idea just to ask them a question that gets them to respond and give their opinion first. And also, too, I can just imagine Jesus standing there, and he knows this guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's the God. He's God. He yeah. knows everyone. And so he's looking at this guy, and he knows him. He knows he's an expert. He's not just somebody that's come along that doesn't know anything. So he says, well, what does the law say? And when he says here, uh, 
in verse 27, he answers, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. All but the mind part actually is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. So that is actually from the law. That's right. So we're going to pull that up. Yes. Okay, and we're going to break this down just real quick. Because I think it's really, un, un, it's, it's important for us to understand this part before we get to the actual parable of the Samaritan. That's right. Okay. So Deuteronomy 6, starting with verse 4, listen, O Israel. And that word listen there is actually Shema. Mm -hmm. And that is in this, it's kind of like, listen here. Listen here. Listen up. <laughs> Pay attention. What I'm about to tell you is really important. It's like your mama saying, yeah. Carrie Denise Wilkinson. That was my maiden name. Right? When she says my full name, that's what God is saying here. Listen, O Israel. It's kind of the same thing as when Jesus says verily, verily in the, in the New Testament. When he says verily, verily, that basically means you better be paying attention. You better listen because I'm calling you by your full name. <laughs> that's right. Okay? Listen up, kiddos. So God is saying this is important. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. So the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. That basically means God is one. Yes. He is one person. He is only one God. He is not multiple gods. He is only one God. The Lord there, both times when it says the Lord, actually means Yahweh or Jehovah or self-existent one. Okay, so he is setting himself apart. I am not like any of the other um, polytheistic gods that you've been taught about in your past. I am one God. I am not multiple. I am one. And I am the only one. I am. That's what that Lord hears. I am. One personal God. And then when it says our God there... Basically, what he's saying is, I've made you in my image. I've created you for a purpose, for my purpose. And that was just really, really important for the people at that time. Yeah, I think it's important for us to hear. He says, I am, not I was, not I will be. I am. And so he, what he's saying is, I'm the present one. I'm the one that's living inside the present. And if you think about it, we, we really don't. We typically are living in the past or in the future because the present is so quick that by the time we recognize it, it's already gone. So knowing that God is in the present means that because he's powerful and because he loves us, it gives us security, knowing that he is the I am. And he is our God. That's right. right. So then when it says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, that word love there is the agape love that we talked about last week. It's not any other form of love, it's agape love. So you must love, which is agape, a divine love. You must love me, the Lord your God, with all of your heart. And that word heart there basically is emotion, right? As in Matthew 6, 21, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And where, there, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. All right, so, there, so love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. Your soul there is your essence. Who you are, what separates us basically from the animals. <laughs> yes. It, okay. The, the word is suke, mm -hmm. uh, which is where we get psychology. 
So the idea is, it's our identity. It's the it's the part that makes us unique. It's the part where our decisions come from. Right. If you want to think of it that way. Psalm 103, 1 says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. That inmost being, your soul, your essence, who you are, everything inside of you. Yes. Right? And then all of your strength. And that word strength there actually isn't necessarily physical strength. It more has to do with an action. Yes. So in other words, you're loving God with all of your heart and your, all of your soul and all of your action. Yes. You could think Everything of it as resources. You do. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, just like uh, Philemon, Philemon, I can never say that right. <laughs> Most people don't. The actual way to say that is Philemon. Philemon. Chapter 1, verse 6. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. So that faith there is just everything that you're doing. And then notice mind is not in here in the Deuteronomy passage in the law. But we're going to get to that. Jesus adds the word mind in the Luke passage. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But... Basically, the man already knew the answer, right? He knew the answer to Jesus' question, but he was missing something. There was so much more than what his response was. Yeah, and I, and I will say I saw this right at the end of our study today, so I didn't get a chance to tell you. But this is what Jesus says here. A lawyer would interpret it as a, a, a prompt to give a scripture reading. The way that he says it, so what he says is, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Means, what, where, where do you get your answer? Give me scripture and, you know, chapter and verse. Help me to show, show me where it is. So he does Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 is where he gets love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. So then we go down further and we see, so he answers the question with this. Jesus says, that's right. Do that and you will live. But then it says, but the man wanted to justify his actions. So let's find out what his actions were, right? And who is my neighbor? So let's start in verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits or robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, which two silver coins here would be two denarii, which is basically a, a whole day's worth of wages. And that, I mean, that's, that's a lot. Um, telling the innkeeper, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, 
Now go and do the same. <laughs> I don't, you, you may have missed it. We have once again been introduced to Salty Jesus. <laughs> um, I, I like the idea. I, sometimes whenever I read these, I like to put myself in the story, if that makes sense. And, and what Carrie was saying is true. It's like there's two tests here, aren't they? The first one is, how do we inter get eternal life? The second one is, okay, if loving God and loving others as we love ourselves is the case, then, how, then who is it we're supposed to love is the second test. But I'm wondering, if I put myself in there, this, this lawyer comes up. Jesus knows who he is. He sits down and he says, teacher, He's giving him a chance to have the title. It's a measure of respect, but in a way it's almost sarcastic because he's not expecting him to know the answer. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because Jesus hasn't had the learning and the teaching that the lawyer has. But what Jesus does was puts him on the spot. The way that he asks the question means that the lawyer now has to give scriptural reference if he's going to continue in the expertise. So then he gives the answer and like Carrie said, he adds mind there. And that's probably, we don't know for sure, but that's probably because when we think of soul, your, your soul as um, your identity, where decisions come from, your mind is the one that actually makes the decision to, to do what your soul is telling you what to do. And so if that's the case, it's really two sides of one coin. So it's not like Jesus or the teacher is adding something to Deuteronomy 6.5. It's actually expanding the understanding of it kind of like the NLT does sometimes whenever it says okay this is what it means I'm gonna say it this way so that you understand what it means that's probably what's happening but when he does that and you notice he, he kind of he adds mind at the end like it's an it, okay it doesn't really say this but it's at the end and then when he says and love your neighbor as yourself I'm wondering Jesus says yeah that's right. Now go and do likewise. I wonder if he saw something in the man where the guy was going, uh, and he maybe had a thought. There was someone that I wasn't very loving to. And Jesus catches it and he says, yeah, that's right. Now you go and do likewise. And I think Jesus, much like our moms and dads do, there's a way they look at us and we know they know. We know that they know. And all of a sudden it's like, oh. Okay, do I lie and get out Busted. of this? How much, how much do they know? Mm -hmm. And so when, when, when the guy says, uh, uh, well, who is my neighbor? He's, what the Greek actually says is he's pleading innocence. Not that he's trying to justify his actions, but he's pleading innocence is what the Greek means. So I'm wondering if he's going, uh, uh, um, I... I so who is my neighbor? Because he's, he's hoping that whatever Jesus says next will justify what he's already done. And so I wonder if it's possible, not that this specific thing happened, but this is close enough to what happened that it's causing this lawyer to squirm. And it's causing him to wonder. So then he says, hey, here's this guy, he gets robbed, and after he gets robbed, this priest comes by and he doesn't he just goes by him and doesn't help him and this levite or this temple assistant goes by and he doesn't help him and if you're if you're that guy and you're following along you're going oh now he's going to say if just a regular jew went by and i'm going to feel bad and jesus goes no when a despised samaritan goes by 
which would be in, in today's terms with the, the most racially charged thing we have in, in America right now is white and black. So it was like if, it, if there was a white man who was robbed and beaten and two white guys went by and a black guy went by and said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to be one to help you. And the guy that he's talking to struggled with that racial thing because this Jew, as a lawyer, would struggle with any Samaritan. They were half-breeds. They didn't. They weren't faithful to God. There was, they a, deep hatred there was a huge between the divide the between the two. Yes. And so when, when Jesus says that the Samaritan is the one who does all the right things, the lawyer can't even bring it to bring himself to say that it was the Samaritan. He says the one whom showed who showed mercy. He can't even say this. Oh, it was the Samaritan. He has to say the one who showed mercy. That compassion too that Jesus says that the Samaritan showed is splanknon. Isn't that a great Greek word? Splanknon. It is exactly what it sounds like. It's your guts. It's your bowels. It's your because that is where the Greeks believed that your emotions sat. It wasn't, you didn't love someone with your heart. You love someone with your bowels. Because if you think about it, if you really like someone and you're around them, where do you get butterflies? Do you get it in your heart? No, you get it in your stomach, right? And so that's where they felt like it really, so what he's saying is this Samaritan loved this Jew with such compassion that he felt a gut reaction when he saw him. And he said, I've got to help this man. That's salty Jesus. <laughs> That's Jesus really honing in on the idea of who your neighbor is. Well, and he shows it at the beginning of his ministry when he gives that he is reveals that he is the Christ. He is the one they've been waiting for at the woman at the well. Yes. Who is a Samaritan. Yes. Not only does he choose a woman to proclaim who he is and to share in the town, but he chooses a Samaritan woman of all things. So he starts his ministry there, and now he's continuing yes. to use the Samaritans as an example of what we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to love. Um, and I think sometimes we look past that Samaritan part and we don't want to relate that to us now. Yes. Oh, there's a lot of truth oh, in yes. there. There's Preach. a lot of truth in there. That's right. So from this parable that Jesus teaches to answer his question, we learn three things about loving our neighbor. But before that, let's talk just real quick, though. You want to put those up there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this is about, how it's been this about recognizing I, I jumped ahead. What, we'll Jesus, what Jesus is saying is you need a heavenly perspective, not an earthly perspective. Yeah. So here are the earthly perspectives in the story the first one is the bandits saw a victim to exploit right when they saw this man they saw a target they didn't see a human being they didn't see someone to care about they saw someone who might have a little money and so we're going to take whatever he has for ourselves and that is one worldly way to see people they're pawns they're stepping stones they're just they're just targets they're going to play they're going to be victims because i've got to get ahead i've got to look out for number one i got to be me and so if i step on a few people on the way that's just because i need to do that to get up the ladder right so that is one of the ways that the earthly perspective 
gets in the way of our being able to love people. Right. The second one is the priest, which is basically a problem to avoid. Now you can imagine that this man, it, he's beat up. He's been robbed, he's been beat up. He may not even have any clothes on. They may have yeah. taken all of his yeah. clothing. Probably he's laying bloody. on the side of the stitch. He may have saw him and said, I'm not messing with that. That's, that's a mess, I ain't going there. I ain't doing that. Right, so he sees them as a problem to avoid. I'm gonna just keep on walking. I, I will say too, the priest would look at that and if he's on his way to Jerusalem and if he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's probably on his way to something important. Mm -hmm. And if he touches blood, he is ceremonially unclean and he can now not do whatever he was going to Jerusalem for. And so his religious duties came first and so one of the ways we can even inside our religion have an earthly perspective on people is when they become less important than the religious duties that we have i'm sorry i'm going to be late for church i can't stop and help that person on the side of the road i'm sorry I, i've got to, i've got to take care of this i can't i can't I, I can't spend all my time going around to people who are in need I've got to be at Bible study. I've got to be at the block party. I've got to be at whatever else that we're mm -hmm. doing. So that's, that's a way that he saw a problem to avoid. The third one is the temple assistant who saw him as an object of curiosity. You get the sense from the passage, and the NLT brings this out, that he saw him and he's almost like, have you ever, have you ever been slowed down in traffic on the interstate? And it turns out there was nothing going on on your side. The reason everything was slowed down was because there was an accident on the other side. But everybody was slowing down. They have an actual term for that. That's called the gawk effect. And the gawk effect is everybody slows down because they want to see. But because everybody's slowing down, all of a sudden it creates an accordion in the traffic. And it makes everybody later to get there. And there's a sense in the passage where it looks like that, that Levite, that temple assistant, was going, hmm. That's weird. I wonder if I know him. I wonder who he is. I wonder what's going on. But he, like the priest, his job is to take care of the temple. And if he's unclean, he can't take care of the temple. And things were more important than the curiosity that he saw. Well, and a thought just came to me. I thought God gave it to me. But the temple assistant's going to be under the priest, right? That's right. So they're going to be learning from the priest that that's not our problem. <laughs> yeah. That homeless person's yeah. not our problem. Yeah. That addict's not our problem. They probably did something to themselves to put them yeah. themselves there. They smell when they come in the church. So I don't know if we should let them in. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? I know. We stopped preaching I, went to meddling. Oh, we went we? to meddling. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, the temple, uh, the temple assistant's curious. Yes. Huh. I wonder yes. what happened to that dude. Oh, he probably put himself there. He probably asked for it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's because what he, that, he's that's what he gets. That's what he gets for, mm. for traveling alone. Ooh, that, that hurts. Yeah. But yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. So those are the, the, that's the way that it's seen. Now let's talk about the opposite of that. We learned three things about loving our neighbor here. First one is, lack of love is often easy to justify even though it is never right. Well, he probably did that to himself, so therefore it's justified, and I'm just going to keep walking along. Okay? Um, he hurt, that, that group of people hurt me in the past, and I have a lot of wounds from that. 
So I'm justified in not loving that group of people. That, that excuse me, excuses me from loving them. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that a little yeah, bit in the story you're going to share in a little bit. The second one is our neighbors are anyone of any race, creed, or social background who is in need. When God says all, what does all mean? All. It oh, doesn't matter. You guys said it, but we didn't pick it up for the radio. All, what does all mean? All. That's all. better. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. That one speaks for itself. <laughs> That's right. Number three, love means acting. Acting, action. Like we talked about in Deuteronomy, loving means acting to meet the person's need. Wherever you live, people in need are close by if you're willing to look. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to look. The Samaritan saw a person to love. That's right. The question today is who do we love? And the Samaritan said that's a person to love. Yes. That person needs something. That person may have asked for it or he may not have, but he is in need right this moment. He may be a Jewish man, but he is still a child of God, and I'm going to help him. That's what that means. That means the Samaritan saw a person to love. So what's our B today? Our B is be someone who won't cross the other side. Be someone who won't cross the other side. Instead, show Jesus' love to them. Our neighbor is more than just the one who lives next to us, but anyone we come in contact with. It's not just about loving the ones we want to love. It's about loving the ones we are afraid to love. A lot of times we're scared to love people that we don't understand. We're scared to love people that, that we don't know their culture or we don't know their language. And when I mean culture and language, I don't even mean English, <laughs> right? you know, or American culture. We have our own cultures and our own way of speaking to one another inside of that culture, just inside our own nation. Okay? But don't be afraid to love those people. You want to, okay? uh, just saying that just reminded me, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, starting in verse 43, don't turn there. But write it down, Matthew 5, 43, so that you can read it later. I'm going to read it for you right now. This is Jesus teaching. And in the middle of helping us understand what kind of people he wants us to be, he says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true, true children of your father in heaven. For God gives his sunlight both to the evil and to the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that yeah. much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And by perfect, that word really means mature. In other words, grow up. Grow up. This is salty Jesus. Grow up. Stop just loving the people that you're comfortable loving. Recognize that if God only loved the people he was comfortable loving, we would all be going to hell. Instead, he decided to love while we were yet his enemies. He loved us and set a precedent for us in who we should love and how we should love them. Right? The ones who make us angry... The ones we've been told our whole lives aren't good enough to love. 
Yes. The ones we feel vulnerable with. Because let's be true, let's be honest. When we're afraid to love somebody, why? What's the real root of that? We don't want to be vulnerable, right? The yeah. ones we are told by the media and the world we aren't to love. Yes. Your theology is not what you can recite from your mouth. Your true theology, how you believe or understand God, is how you live. Mm. How you live it. We must live it out by who we love. And so that comes to this. Love is a choice that moves us into action. Sometimes difficult, sometimes painstakingly hard. We can't do it without faith. Right? I, I feel like that's the right place for this story. Yes. You think it's right? Yes. When I was the pastor in Greenville, uh, my uh, family pastor's father was a Vietnam veteran. And he was not only a Vietnam veteran, he actually was part of special services. He could not eat rice because one time to hide from the enemy, he had to hide in a rice paddy for three days. And the smell of rice would make him vomit. He had to do things that we can't even imagine. He wasn't allowed to talk about any of it either. And he it was, was yes, classified. he could not talk about it to anyone. And so because of that, he developed a strong hatred for anyone who was Asian, especially if they looked Vietnamese. Fast forward, and he is saved by Christ and comes to know the Lord. And at some point, the church that we're at decides that they're going to start doing mission trips. And their mission trip is going to be to the Philippines. And this man is asked to go on that trip, and he says, I can't. I hate those people. Yeah. He flat out said that. I hate them. I can't. I'm not going to do it. Somehow, I honestly don't remember how. I don't either. God convinces him to go on this trip. And he goes to the Philippines, and he spends 10 days. And he falls in love with these people. So much so that he goes back every year for 10 years. And they have such a heart for him that he has his own special nickname that they would call him every time that he came. <laughs> and so anytime our church let them know that we were coming, they would ask if he was going to be coming. And they would use his nickname to explain who he is. That would have been impossible without God. That would have been impossible without him. He actually then put a petition out to see if he could go do a mission trip to Vietnam. And the Vietnamese would not allow him into the country. That's how well he was known there. And so he spent all of his time loving on those people from the Philippines. Love your enemies with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit that urges us to choose to act for everyone. We can't do it on our own. That's not a human love. That's not a human event. That is a supernatural event that happens in the bowels of a man who gets a gut reaction when he sees people and says, because of the way they look, I hate them. And now he looks at them and says, these are the people that I love the most. I immediately thought God just gave me a vision of the Grinch 
<laughs> the Grinch that stole that's Christmas right, tree. That's right. And how his heart was non-existent, but it grew. Was it? Was it say he, his heart grew three, three times, times? Three times. Three times. That, that day, size that day, and that's what happened with our friend Steve. He God took his heart. Yes. Like what we talked about in Deuteronomy, and then also Jesus mentions it again here in Luke. That word heart. He took his heart, and it was this tiny, and he grew it four times or three times larger than it was for these people. And only through God's love, agape love, yes. agape love that poured into Steve's heart, renewed his heart, made it grow three times larger. He saw these people with eyes of Jesus, not through the eyes of someone, like in this story, who justified hating those people. Yes. Instead, he gave them, he grew his heart and he grew his eyes to see yes. how God saw those people. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That is what he wants us to do. And his legacy is his daughter is a family pastor. His son-in-law is a pastor. His granddaughters are worship leaders. His uh, grandson-in-law is a youth leader. Uh, like it, th That love and that example just gives and gives and gives through the generations so there's a place in scripture where god says that a person's sin will be visited upon the third and fourth generation however it also says the blessing of god for our obedience goes to a thousand generations mm -hmm. the idea isn't to tell you that when you sin your your sons and daughters and your grandkids and your great grandkids are going to be in trouble the point is to make the juxtaposition between when there's a curse, it can only last so long because the love of God is too great. Mm -hmm. But when there's blessing, it lasts for thousands of generations mm -hmm. so that you understand the power of God and the blessing is greater than the power of the enemy and the curse. And I want to just say this too with Steve. If he were here today, he would tell you right now. It did not happen like Overnight, that. that's right. When he took that first trip... When he was sharing that story with us at, in their home, yes. his tears were just flowing yes. as he was telling the story. Yes. And he said, that first couple of days over there were the hardest days of my life. Yeah. He's, and rightfully so. I mean, if anybody could justify how he felt about those people, it was him. The things that he saw and the things that he had to do, I mean, I get it. Yeah. I completely get it. And if anybody could justify it, it was him. And when he stepped off of that plane, the, the memories and the PTSD and the things that were flooding yes. back in him, yes. only by the power of the Spirit of God could he have overcome all of those things. And he said the first trip was the hardest. It was baptism by fire through the Holy Spirit. He said, I had, you know, can you imagine your heart growing four times too big? That's going to be painful. <laughs> That is not going to be easy, and it's not going to not be painful. And he felt that pain as he was going through it. Um, but when he came out on the other side, the love that he had for these people, it changed him from the inside out. Yes. And the testimony that, that's why I picked this story for us, yes. to, us to talk about today, because I feel like it's one of the biggest it's, it's examples, one of the greatest examples I've ever seen in my life of someone who had such hatred and fear and justification and to give all of that up and to give it to God. And, and he'll tell you it was only by the Spirit he could have done it. And for you guys out there, this is not a gushy, emotional guy. No, is, he's not. He's above him. 
He's, he's a sniper. He's, he's not, yeah, he's not, he's <laughs> he not an emotional guy. Yeah. But he became emotional when God got a hold of him in the right way. And he let his love be action instead of harboring his hate. So what we're telling you is what Jesus was saying to this lawyer is to love the person in front of you. That's what, when it says love your neighbor, it doesn't mean love the person who lives next door. It means love the one who's right in front of you right now. Sometimes that person is also a believer and God says take care of the household of God first. Right, that's an easy one. But sometimes it's the person that you have the hardest time loving. You have to just choose to act in such a way that you are loving toward them, even if they don't deserve it. And we didn't really talk about this, but we'll do something next week. Even if you don't get loved back. Yeah. Because most of most human love, the reason we say that it is selfish is because it is most often given when we know it will be returned. And when we love our enemies, we know it will not most likely be returned. But Steve's story shows us that it is possible that you may melt your enemy's heart. Yeah. And they may love you more than anyone else when they catch it. So how do you do that, especially to love the ones that are hard to love in front of you? You start out with prayer. Yes. And if Steve were here today, he would tell you that's the first thing he did. He began to pray to God. God, there's more that I want from you, and there's more that I need in my life of you. Show me how to do that. And God answered his prayer Amen. and said, these are people that I want. I want to show you a Jesus love. Yes. I want to show you agape love. And he did that. And, and out of that, Steve became the man of God that he wanted him to be. And so pray. Pray, 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 pray. Pray that um, when you're ready, or maybe you're not ready, but pray that God shows you that person that he wants you to love in front of. And it may be that he starts out by sending you the easy ones first, right, to give you practice. And then he may also put the people in front of you that are hard and ask him to help you in that moment, to love the one in front of you, whatever that means. Sometimes that may just be standing there and being silent. And not saying anything, not losing your temper, not <laughs> right. saying something you shouldn't, right. not aggressive, you know, being aggressive back. Sometimes it's just being, I am a child of God and being present and in that God's authority. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to love you and see you as Jesus sees you, whether you see me that way back or not. Okay. So let's do what the Lord commanded us to do when it comes to loving our neighbor. Yeah. What's Deuteronomy say? Burn it into your heart. Tie or bind it through the work of your hands. Write it on the doorposts of where you live. And teach it to your children diligently. And repeat it again and again and again and again. We learn most often by repetition. And so the more we can remind ourselves, I'm supposed to love that person. God wants me to love that person. God's going to give me the power to love that person. God, please give me the power to love that person. <laughs> And when we say yes, all of a sudden we open the doors for the good news of Jesus And what's Jesus say? Do this and you will live, my friends. You will live. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Jar with Pastors Michael and Carrie Rogers. If you'd like to support our mission, you can go to www.thejarministries.net and look for the Give button in the top right. 
Your sponsorship allows us to continue ministering to the least of us in our great city of Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you so much. I am filled to be empty.